welcome to the Get Offset Podcast. My name is Andrew. And I'm Emily. And today we are going to talk about all of the things. That's what we talk about every week. We literally cover every single possible piece of content that we could in the guitar industry. Every episode, so, every time. It makes it a little redundant. If you listen to one, you look... No, I'm kidding. Totally kidding. <laughs> um, we got a little bit of a special treat for you today. Emily's going to get to grill me on my knowledge base, and we'll see how far that goes. Well, it's not so much that. It's just <laughs> I'm going to be serving as a proxy for the listener as is a good format. So you're going to be explaining something to me, basically. I am, but we'll get there. Oh, we'll that- get there. Can you hear that? Yeah. What is that? That's my AC. It just kicked up a notch on its own. That's because it's hot in Seattle. It's, it's not that super loud. hot. Okay. Well, yeah. So it's super hot in Seattle. It's supposed to be like, what, 100 degrees to get today? Uh, 95 where I am, but it's likely warmer in other places. I think I've got 98 on my forecast, which really mean and forecast in this little area is always a couple degrees short of what it actually is. Yeah. Uh, on my front porch. So... Especially when you take into account, like, the, the temperature in, in the sun versus the temperature in the shade. Yep. Uh, I'm planning on barbecuing later today. Not even going to need charcoal. Why? Don't do that. Rick and I are just going to hang out upstairs where the AC, where we have a window unit and got a TV set up in there. I'm going to work on some um, MIDI stuff. I'm doing some... Rick told Rick Matthews told me I'm allowed to talk about this. I'm doing just a little beta testing for the Futurists. Their new um, what? Yeah, I didn't tell you that, did I? No, you didn't. That's awesome. I just confirmed yesterday that I'm allowed to talk about it. But uh, the software nope. is really cool. Um, so basically, it's it's very small. It's like it's barely bigger than a deck of cards. I think it's as long as a, a as long as a playing card and a little bit wider. Yeah, no, I got it's, to see the got to see the enclosure at Nam. I didn't really play around with it, but I got to check it out. It looks snazzy. It's like two credit cards side by side. It's um, yeah, it's really neat. Nice soft switches. You can hear them. A lot of output. So there's a utility out, a control out, nine volt in, um, the little MIDI uh, eighth inch adapter, uh, ins and outs, and then the MIDI five pin, and then the USB that you plug into the computer to use their software. And uh, it, you don't even have to input all of the um, the CC commands because there's something called the smart uploader. So you can you can add your own and add them to their database. It looks like, and then you can download from the cloud like specific the MIDI commands. So I'm still like I'm a such an aggressively noob. I'm an aggressive MIDI noob. I guess is maybe one way to say that. Yeah, um, what a noob. Yeah, seriously. Um, but I ha- will be messing with that a lot more, a lot more throughout the day. Maybe with the, um, I have the the dusk from uh, Doctor Scientist, nice. and it has a MIDI five. So I, that might be like, I might just take this and a guitar upstairs, um, do a little itty bitty mini pedal board thing with the iridium. And uh, get this get this figured out. Like I think that 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 would be a good project for a day where it's very hot. That sounds like it. Wow. Yes. I yeah I can't I I realize like pretty 
like about five minutes ago. I haven't told anybody that I'm playing no, with the Futurist. That's awesome. Yeah, so that, I'm excited because I, I have increasingly more MIDI pedals I, on my actual pedal board. I have the Automaton, and right. I have um, the Maris uh, Enzo. Right. And uh, the Chase Bliss Mood. All those, all of those are MIDI, right, MIDI right. enabled. So that'll be fun. I really want to figure out, I've seen some people do with the Automaton, like have the mids go like the mid frequency kind of moving throughout, I guess that's on like a MIDI clock. Is that how that works? Yeah. 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 So I'm, so I guess I would set, do you know how I would do that? <laughs> Just out of curiosity while I have you on, no, the, I'm on also, the line. <laughs> I'm also a mini new, but uh MIDI clock sounds like the correct solution where it would just off of a tap tempo clock through the, through the step sequence. Yeah. Is what I imagine that would be, but I'm also, I'm grasping loosely at my understanding of the terminology. So mm -hmm. you would think for a guy that works in tech, I should know this, but I don't. I mean, MIDI is one of those things that we learned about in um, music business college in my studio classes, but I never mm, really, I never really understood it past like a, a MIDI controller going through different, different sounds. Like I've seen MIDI get edited in Pro Tools. So I've seen how, how, like how that's different than like waveforms. Yes. Um, yes. I learned it in university. Yes. Well, <laughs> wow. I'm just saying it's been a while. I'm just giving you the snooty vibe. That's all. The um, snooty vibe. A snooty I'm not, vibe. I'm not like clipping. Am I? I don't think so. Okay. Cool. I don't know. Doesn't sound I like just... it on this end. Sweet, sweet, sweet. I always worry about that because I got a new um, a lav mic for some of the demos on oh. Amazon, and it's just it's very loud. So I feel like I'm not supposed to be wearing it like as close to my mouth as I wear it, which is like on on my collar. So it feels like maybe it's just too loud. Like there's like the mic shouldn't be that loud. Hmm. Yeah. You know, I mean, so there, there was some clipping. I did my, I did a little Zoya, um, a little run through of building my first Zoya patch and that one's got go MIDI triggering, right? It does. It does. Man, you can you're do about MIDI to have messages. like a full MIDI board. Oh God. I hope not. Oh my God. I hope I'm, not. I'm pretty sure that's a prerequisite to be a worship guitar player. But. <laughs> that will tie in nicely. So, um, that's enough about me. What's uh, up with you? So fun little story from the Fox Cairo world. Uh, I had a customer, I'll omit their name, uh, but I had a customer, a uh, really, really friendly individual order. Uh, they went through and ordered a uh, custom topper. So they went and picked one of the artists and paid the artist to design something unique for him. Uh, and the artist for this round was uh, Michael Eberhart. He did a, a really great job on this. So did the order for Ernie Ball VP Jr., uh, I got the, the artwork submitted and I got the payment and got it all together. I uh, made the topper, shipped it out. Woohoo! We're all good to go. And then this was right before I went on vacation for the long weekend. And I came back. Um, and thankfully, the message had been waiting for very long. But I message with a picture of the topper on the on the pedal. And he's like, hey, uh, is this does this look right? And I was like, I'm looking at him going. Why does it look like it's half an inch too small on every side? Oh, oh no. no. Did I? And I'm sitting here thinking, going, it didn't look small when I made it. And I don't think I screwed up the formatting. Wait, did I? 
and I immediately went into panic mode. I'm like, I, I must have screwed this up. And so we went back and forth a couple of times. Like, I'm going to make this right for you. Let's sort get, let's sort out what happened here. And I was like, I went back and I was checking the, the print logs and going through everything. And I like literally like, I've got my list of like what the measurements are for each of my pedals. And I'm literally like going to grab my, my VP junior. Cause somehow like my, my list could have changed. And I like, honey, I trunk the kids. I don't know. <laughs> Just complete freaking out. And he's, he's like, hang on a second. Hang on a second. This my pedal just says Ernie Ball VP. It doesn't oh, say VP. Oh no! <laughs> I so forgot he, that there is a bigger one. Once upon a time, I don't. They've it's been discontinued for a while, but once upon a time, Ernie Ball made a full size Ernie Ball volume pedal, which and is wild did, because they're already quite big. Like the juniors are quite big. Yeah, yeah. So it's like eleven by four, like eleven inches long, four inches wide. So that's huge. Yes. Uh, so good news. Uh, happy ending to the story. I, I just, I got the, the proper dimensions for the new size and just sent him another one. Uh, got them all sorted out and I think it got delivered yesterday. So I'm hoping that I've got pictures soon of a very happy customer. And if he ever gets a VP junior, he'll have the exact, the exact same uh, pedal topper. Yeah, I was like, dude, you use that if you want to ever swap out your pedal or just give it away to a friend or do whatever you want with it. It's yours to keep. I need to film my um, Ernie Ball volume pedal tuner demo so you can make a topper for it. Funny you say that. Uh, that's also on my bench right now. <laughs> nice. I've got, so I've got. Um, did you a, borrow it from somebody? I did, yeah. So shout out to Cam from Gib Sunday and Tone Throne. He lent me his. Ernie Ball volume pedal tuner, uh, as well as his three expression series pedals. Mm. And I'm going to be having a little bit of fun with the designs on those. All I know. So all he handed them to me and said, Hey, uh, have fun with it. Knock yourself out, do whatever you want. Uh, but when you return them, like I would really like to see, uh, something like, I want something really fun. And specifically, here's what you need to know about me is I love Jesus and I love the office. (laughs) So that's my, that's my design guidelines that I'm going to have to try and sort out without any sort of uh, IP infringement. Mm -hmm. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, But no, it's going to be a lot of fun and I should have, uh, if I can get through specifically, I want to get the template knocked out for the volume pedal um, tuner this week. I thought you had, I thought you had uh, templates for the expression series already. Um, I, I might sitting around somewhere. I just, I know I haven't physically built one and put one on a pedal and oh. put it in the photo booth yet. So, oh. well, I like, I like the expression series tremolo, um, a whole hell of a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right now. Um, Navid Elliott has my, uh, expression series overdrive pedal. And I think Sean Crawford has my, um, my old delay pedal. Nice, nice, nice. Yeah. So I've never actually like wired up all of them in a row. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking once I'm done doing the toppers on all of this, I might do like a quick, like, Hey, what can I get out of using only the expression series pedals? A lot. Uh, Sound wise. So I'm going to give it a go, give it a whirl, see what I can't do with it. Uh, I yeah. like, I like the overdrive. I wish it went I wish it, I wish it was a fuzz, honestly. I think it would be like the coolest 
I think that would be the coolest of the pedals if there was a fuzz because it's really it's really kind of amazing how they're able to um, let you blend in the the dirt without increasing the overly increasing the volume like at all on the uh, yeah yeah you just get it set to unity gain and yeah that's neat oh I like it a lot um I just think I just know people are are picky about their overdrives but I think the tremolo is a winner. Yeah, no, I've really liked the trend the one time I got to play with it before, and I'm thinking it's going to be a lot of fun to play around with once I get this all wired up and uh, all dapper with some some toppers. Oh, totally. For sure. For sure. Yeah. I'm trying to think if there's anything else I want to say about those, but I'm just excited to see what they come up with next. I, I do need to film that. Um. Well, I, I originally just asked them for the volume pedal tuner to demo, and they're like, well, that's not really a very fun one to demo, so let's just send you our, our expression series line. So I wasn't going to say no to that. Right, right. Uh, but I still want well, I still want to film the uh, demo with the tuner because it, it is like, it's simple, but it's neat. And I really enjoyed having it at the one show I've been able to uh, to play with it. For sure. So, uh, announcement from the gear world, uh, as of, um, in the last week or so, it's been officially announced that winter Nam is canceled and we'll be moving to a virtual event of sorts. They're reimagining what they can do from the online world. So I wonder if that the- will, pu- I wonder if that will pull it back into like the original purpose of, of the event, which was to connect manufacturers with dealers and not necessarily this big consumer actual consumer open facing kind of event not that it's like supposed to be just open to anyone who wants to go in but that does seem to be like if you really want to get in you'll you get, can in. get in yeah yeah that kind of thing so, i mean shoot um, if, they, if they let us in on our first tries with our pre- P- pr credentials they'll let anybody in <laughs> <laughs> um i mean that's one way to look at it so, yeah, I don't know what they're going to do uh, as far as the change. I'm the little bit I've seen so far. I'm intrigued by, uh, and post pandemic, I think it. I think it's fair to say that, given a year, or um, that's two Nams in a row, so full year of Nam off. And assuming that, let's say we we assume that they come back for summer Nam, if not the following winter Nam of 2022. Uh, I, I imagine that much time off is going to give them a chance to really reimagine, reevaluate their priorities. And also the other end of that is I think post pandemic world, we're going to be a lot more paranoid in general about large crowds. And I can't, it was fun to go in January, but now after like the, the collective trauma we've been put through in terms of like, Oh my God, the virus. Uh, I'm not sure I want, I'd be ready to go jump into a, a facility with like 30,000 people in it or however many there were. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it was probably a bad idea to have it in 2020 at all, like in January. Well, we didn't know. We know knowing what we yeah. know now. Yeah, Seattle Times is reporting this week that coronavirus in the Seattle area was go, uh, spreading undetected and widely so as early as like December, January. Yeah, I'm I, I'm sure I don't still have antibodies for it, but I am uh... – <laughs> Rather, rather positive. I had all the symptoms. I know I, I can tell you I had every, almost every symptom, in in mid February. Oh yeah, Melissa. Um, actually, right before I went to Nam was 
super sick. And while, while I was at Nam, she actually went to go stay with her parents. Um, and she basically just slept for three days and drank soup. Yeah. Uh, I, I had super sick. I had a cough that wouldn't quit for weeks. I had a fever. That's very unusual for me. You know, I always have allergies. So my sense of smell is always kind of a little wackadoodle, but, um, this was not allergies and it wasn't like, it wasn't like anything I'd ever had before. Right. And because of like the, the range of the way that coronavirus presents itself in patients they're like, now I'm look thinking back through like every time I had like a slight sniffle or a slight cough, I'm like, that could have been COVID. I had it, but I'm trying, I'm trying to hold myself back and like, no, no, it's not necessarily how that works. Andrew chill. Mm -hmm. Uh, You can't know for sure. And it's not time to go just release yourself into the world, hoping you have antibodies. Yeah, no, it's better. That would be a bad idea. And especially since like now, like we, this is not a COVID podcast. Let's pull it back. No, no. So anyways, Nam, uh, Nam's canceled. Be aware of that. Uh, I will, I will admittedly be sad. There's a lot of people I got to see this last Nam. I'm really glad I went for my first time right before all of this, uh, but we'll be missing all of you. And uh, we already started a discussion in the Facebook group about uh, whether or not uh, we think that's positive for the future. Feel free to join the Facebook group, join in on that conversation. And yeah. Oh, and if you like this podcast, please rate review on iTunes and um, check out our Patreon at patreon.com slash get offset. We also have merch on our uh, website, get offsetpodcast.com. Yay. Yeah. Uh, patronize us. I think that's, that's the, the kids are saying these days. Please pa- patronize us. It helps. Yeah, it really, it helps. It's nice. So, uh, yeah. Sponsors. This week's episode of the Get Off Set Spot. Uh, this I've had. Whoops. <laughs> that was maybe the worst sponsors, thing I've ever done. Sponsors. Spun Loud Effects based out of Seattle, Washington. Makers of the Blister and Peel version 2, a pedal that I have loaned to Andrew. And I hope that he understands it's not his forever, even though it's orange. I know that I know that he wants it to be his forever. Oh no! It uh, it got lost in shipping. I'm so sorry. Um, no, no. <laughs> yeah, you, I I don't know how I'm ever gonna. I, I can't return it to you if I don't have it. Uh, I'm definitely not holding it in my hands right now, or definitely not feeling the uh, immediate regret of knowing I'm gonna have to give this back. <laughs> How, how do you like that enclosure? Dude, this enclosure is sweet. <laughs> yeah. This reminds me of, um, oh, uh, what's that? It's, um, oh my goodness. What's the, the candy called where the, all the little candies look like fruit? Like you get like in the vending machines of Best Buy or whatever. It's not nerds or, ah, uh, shoot. Uh, that's like some, that's some nursing home candy. I don't, I, that's all I associate it with. Um, anyways, no, like the, the way the, the edges are beveled, it just reminds you of like candy in the most positive way. Let me runs. Runs. No, runs. I agree. Now that I'm looking at them, I'm like, yeah, there's something very runty about it. Yeah. <laughs> in, a good runs, way, in a good way. Runs are the bomb. Um, I feel like diabetes, uh, <laughs> which I'm not opposed to at this point in my life. I've come to terms. Uh, no, but yeah, no, the, the way the edges are beveled just has this like super delicious runt candy, especially with that color. Like this is just mm-hmm. so, so freaking rad. 
Yeah. I wish I had done a demo with it on bass. I haven't actually plugged this. That was before I started doing bass demos. So, shoot. That would have been a good one to do. Well, maybe if y'all ask nicely, I'll do a, a live stream to the group with my bass plugged in mm. and just give it a give it a run through. See what nice. happens. See what happens. Adventures, excitement. But those Gorba enclosures, I think that's what Spruce Effects is using. Um, if not on their Americana series, their their more classic series. Right. Yeah, yeah. All the the hand wired stuff that Brian's doing. Yeah. Those are cool he's, looking. He's working on an FY2 right now, I think. I don't even so know what like, that is. Super nasty fuzz. Um, oh, yeah? You said yeah, so super nasty fuzz. This blister and peel is super cool, and I uh, I probably will give it back, but not not because I want to. All right? Let's just be clear about this. I want to keep this for forever. Well, you can have a conversation with Dan about that. and I, I will. I will. Are you gonna be nice? Can I have blister peel discount, please, Dan? Discount. Maybe, maybe blend? I want it for free. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. All right. So before <laughs> I before I start having very aggressive conversations with small builders, uh, just do do yourself and do me a favor. Go just make this sold out. Make these disappear off the internet. Make make the small builders dream and uh, go. So buy that them. Andrew, so that Andrew won't be tempted by them. You right, can't be right. tempted if they're always selling out before you can get one. Ah, oh, dang it. They sold out again. Yeah. Speaking of uh, things I've loaned you, you're, you, this podcast is literally powered by something a little bit different this week. It is. So for the first time uh, in the history of the podcast, um, I'm doing something a little bit. No, I take that back. I did do something different with my mic setup once out of necessity. Um. But by and large, I've used the same microphone, just plugged directly into my interface. And I'm still using that microphone, and I'm still using the interface. But plot twist, uh, there's something a little bit funny in between. It's called a Soyuz. Soyuz is the brand, and this is their analog launcher, which is uh, kind of like a cloud lifter, but with a preamp in it. So it's giving me a lot more of a, a clean boost input to it. It's not, uh, it's, it's, yeah, it's clean boost. They, they say it's not transparent. Right, right. It's supposed to have like a preamp, uh, forget what they're modeling it at. It, I'm sure it's probably something like a Neve, but. Probably, uh, yeah. It's a good sound. Everyone but, loves Neve consoles. I've worked on Neve consoles. Remember, so, yeah, I've worked on Neve consoles. Back in university. I learned. I learned what a mixing board is on a Neve console. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. Uh, anyways, so that's what I'm using right now. And if you think my voice, uh, I do actually have a little bit of a snuffle right now. It's probably COVID. Uh, but aside from that, if you think my voice sounds smoother and sweeter and uh, more akin to honey or agave, then that would be that would be the uh, that's the situation. It's not actually my voice. You'll be disappointed when you meet me. But this, this is pretty cool. I mean, just even looking at your waveforms versus what they normally look like on Zencaster, you're, it's, there's a lot more presence. And I think it'll be a lot easier to uh, mix. Because I usually have to do some compression and EQ <laughs> on your voice. Sure, sure. But so, I'm, And I'm trying – I'm going to even turn down the input gain on my thing a little bit 
here just Why? a smidge because i've i keep clipping just a little i'm looking at my my input uh led and it's starting to go a little orange red when i start to get a little animated and the okay. wild thing to me is is with this microphone i mean this microphone's so this is a sure uh, e609 so it's really meant for like guitar amps and like, crazy loud inputs not really meant for vocals and but it just happens to be the microphone that I have and it's fine enough for this. And anyway, so I've never been able like I have a really hard time like I have to get really loud to get it to clip on the front end of my interface. Yeah. And that's even with the input on the interface almost timed out. Right now I've got the the input is like eleven thirty. And if I talk just a little bit there it goes, it's starting to clip just a little bit. Um Well it didn't sound so like it was clipping on my end, to be fair. Yeah, no, I'm just I'm, I'm keeping an eye on the visual indicators, and I'm just blown away by how much more inputs going into the sucker, um, with the with the launcher in it. So I'm actually pretty happy about that, and I'm curious to listen to the raw after the fact because, um, the one of the other downsides to the way I run the, my mic setup normally is I've got a, it pick I can tell that it picks up a lot of the background noise because I'm listening to my my input live because I've got um. It's feeding back into my headphones, so I, you know, when you talk with headphones on and it like you don't know how loud you are. Like at least with this setup, I can hear myself, so it feels a little bit more natural. But I'm not hearing near as much of the background noise that I typically do. Yeah, it does tend to cut out background noise. I've seen I've seen other demos with it where like it's used to uh, record a guitar, and then you don't hear the string noise the second time, like the the fingers on the strings. Yeah, it's one of my one of my enormous peppies. I don't know who taught these people to mic the fingerboard of the guitar. I don't know why people do that on acoustic guitars. Please stop doing that. Just no, stop no, it. always between the 12th and the 14th fret. That's normal. No, I hate it though. It's stupid. I disagree. Mm. Mm. I disagree. Mm. I really, really like like right around the 12th, 14th fret with a slightly off access angle. That sounds so good, especially if you're doing finger style, but <laughs> sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, like sure. It. Mics are great. Not my favorite. Anyways, also so, every time I hear an acoustic guitar on a recording, I'm like, that's close. <laughs> I am happy so far with this launcher, and I'm excited for the theoretical will not bleed. Uh, and I'm also really curious to to. Uh, I don't have a DI right now. Um, if I borrow a DI, trying to compare the difference on my guitar rig and see how much difference that is running in. You don't have a DI? Yes, you do. Do your, I? On your amp? Yeah, well, no, no. So the, that's just a TS unbalanced. Oh, my amp has it. <laughs> like, what I, are you talking about, my guy? <laughs> I forgot I have a DI in my amp. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Your Fender amp. Man, I am. That's how. That's how. That's how I recorded. Uh, I recorded the whole demo doing like toggling between the DI and the <laughs> mic amp. Remember? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did Sorry. a whole video. What the fuck? I'm a cottonhead in any muggins. I I feel so ashamed of myself right now. <laughs> like well, I should. I, I shouldn't know your amp that I had for two days better than you do. <laughs> I'm. I'm just gonna go sit in the corner and drink coffee and shame. 
Just blame not having the coffee coursing through your veins yet. That's oh, what yeah, I usually it, do. I'm a white man. I need to redirect uh, my blame to something other than myself. That uh, was that's that's that that statement alone almost made up for the devil's advocate of the last episode. I didn't like doing that. No, oh. I could tell. I could tell. So just because it's not a very easily defensible position. <laughs> no, it, I, I really didn't like it. I like I was queasing my seat, and that's why I broke at the end of the episode. Like, no, I, I'm no, uh, no. And the funny thing is, so I haven't done that in a while, and uh, I heard, I saw a little something about it. Uh, one of the new members of the Facebook group, when answering their question, uh, which what's your favorite host? Uh, which I think is a fun question, and. Because it's always Emily, but this time, uh, this time, no, it's been, like, it's been you sometimes, like ten percent of the time. Come on, anyways. So the person said, uh, "Emily, comma, devil's advocate sucks" or something like that. It was like a never devil's advocate, <laughs> something like that. Like they just looked at like, yeah, but I, I, it wasn't really me stalking. <laughs> That's why nobody likes the devil. Doesn't need an advocate. That's literally why. Like it's whatever. But um. There was one where I said Emily because she doesn't make bad puns or something like that. Aw, well, that person, <laughs> that, that's just a bad lack. That's a lack of taste, and I can live that's with funny. that one. <clears throat> I think that was funny. So. Should we get to yeah. the uh, the fruit of the episode? The fruit? I like fruit. Mm. Oh, I made, a, I made a fig and peach crumble yesterday. So oh, yeah. Good. I saw pictures. I'm gonna have to eat more of that uh, after the episode's done. So yeah, let's get to let's get to the topic so I can go eat my diabetic coma. Sure. Um. So I this kind of is um. Hold up. And that sounded like someone with a small penis and a mid-sized motor making a lot of sound. That wasn't even a motorcycle, dude. That was just a beater. <laughs> so um this is kind of a a topic that stems from um we you and i briefly kind of chatted about it uh when we when you came by to a socially distance pick up your your pedals that i had been demoing and to borrow a couple things for me but so i'm not i'm not a religious person surprise surprise I've, I've been, I went to church a couple times in college with a boyfriend. I went to a youth group thing once with, with a friend from the neighborhood and oh, never, those. I went once, but <laughs> wait, wait, is that a thing? No, it's not a thing. I just wanted to, I, if we're going to talk church stuff, I want to take a brief moment to pretend like I'm the super judgmental Christian type and then move on from it. Cool. Uh, yeah. So I went to church to tr- try to, for, with a terrible boyfriend and, um, uh yeah that's and i remember once you might think this is funny uh there's like they do the songs it was like an episcopalian church so it wasn't like any of the modern kind of stuff but it was you know i don't know i have no idea how to describe the songs i didn't know them and he's looking at and he's just like sitting next to me and i have like the lyrics in front i'm kind of like looking over at him and he's like do you really not know any of these songs i'm like why would i know any of these songs (laughs) It's like I don't. It's like taking someone to a K, like a um, I got a K-pop concert and then being like, you don't know any of these songs. Like I don't listen to K-pop. Why would I know? It's great that you do, but I don't. Why would I? Well, and especially so like Episcopalian would be like a high church setting. Is the uh, uh, that's the academic term 
for a, a more liturgical scenario where they've got the, the the hymnals and the yeah recitations of the same prayers and the call and responses and more of that sort of more akin to what you'd you know think of a catholic church but yeah i mean that's what it was but um we were talking about worship music and music in the church and that yeah. it really is an enormous industry and i know i've talked to builders about this some builders who are like yeah we could make a lot more money if we tried to cater to the worship yep. worship community or yep. the praise and worship um so you you might hear that called like p-dub or praise and worship but that's really that's really i don't know a lot about it if you want to hear what i know like what if there's anything else that i know i know that they're like rock stars like there are these people who just do worship music and it's not christian rock it's just worship music and they are like real deal people know who they are and try to emulate them i know y'all love uh gain stages and (laughs) shrimans and uh soundless stages and yep. what else do y'all like lots of new and shiny things <laughs> yep and it just seems like uh a lot like i just i when i think of like a worship guitar sounds pedal board i think of like a, an extru- like a, an exorbitantly expensive pedal board sure four to five grand is not abnormal for cash sunk into a pedal board not including guitar and amp Yeah. So that's basically all I know is that there are people who are rock stars in the worship guitar community and their pedal boards are very expensive and they, and they like gain stacking and they like, um, the Strymon Big Sky. (laughs) Sure, sure, sure. Uh, so there's, there's reasons for that, but before I even get into the gear of it, I really need to contextualize this for you and the listener uh, because without that context, it seems a lot more strange than it already is. So let's take a big step back and, you know, 50, 60 years ago, and basically everyone's singing out of the hymnals. That's sort of the deal. Uh, Moving forward a little bit and people start, um, you know, where do I even begin? How far back do I want to go with this? Um, goodness so well we don't want to start at the beginning the beginning like please don't talk about the reformation (laughs) i was thinking about going there i'm not going to uh let's just say post-reformation uh you before the reformation you had the catholic church post-reformation you've got the catholic and the and the protestant church and we're going to completely leave out the orthodox church because that stayed more or less over on the eastern side of the world and that doesn't have as much bearing into this conversation so you got the Protestant church specifically has then splintered into hundreds of denominations in the last three or 400 years, uh, which has been wild. Uh, and you're constantly new, new denominations. Uh, and a denomination is like, uh, well, like what Catholic or Protestant would be considered. So we're talking Baptist, Methodist, and even like under the term Methodist, you've got the free Methodist, you've got the United Methodist. I mean, so all kinds of like different small factions of of Christianity, which seems really, really strange from the outside. I fully grant that. And that's why you, uh, for, if you've got a number of Christian friends, they might argue over any number of things and not agree on a whole lot of stuff. So it's actually really surprising how wide the, uh, the beliefs are across just, just Protestant, uh, Protestant churches in America. 
Now, under that umbrella, you've got kind of like the evangelical world and kind of more uh, your mainstream, uh, your your mainstream Protestantism, and in the U.S. It's kind of just been assigned the term evangelical, uh, which gets overused, I think, by definition. But we all know what that means. So, uh, in that world, is where we start to see the uh, the praise and worship phenomenon start to appear. Uh, going back a couple, three decades. Um, and there's, and this is not to be confused with like gospel music. Cause I right. feel like church churches, is, churches have always had music from, oh, yeah, yeah. from the beginning, basically. 100%. And gospel definitely plays into this a little bit, but not nearly as much as like uh gospel blues would have uh, played into rock and roll. Um, Worship right. is kind of more derivative out of the rock and roll world. I was about to say it does feel more inspired by by that. Sure, and looking at um, kind of the the last ten years of contemporary tones, you're looking at uh, one of the you're looking at Coldplay or U two, and those are kind of the sounds that have really inspired um, a lot of what you hear in praise and worship music. So fast forward a little bit, and. You've got all the old hymns, and you've got some bands that are coming out with some new stuff, um, and trying to break out. And you've got like wait, 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 wait. Bands are coming out, so there are old hymns. Bands like church bands are coming out with their own stuff. Well, no, not necessarily. So up until this point, like your your average church band, they're just following. They're playing the piano, and they're maybe expanding upon the hymns uh, with your little local church band. Uh, and then at some point in time, we've got the larger churches uh, start to go, hey, we should start writing our own music. And there's a couple of reasons for that. To, um, and one of the big reasons why contemporarily, we're just going to jump straight into the contemporary here. So you've got modern church. If you've got a really big church, uh, an example of this would be Mars Hill, which is a church that was in the seattle area is left we don't talk about mars hill anymore in these parts i know and so mars but yeah it was had had a really rough falling out and uh, left a really bitter taste for christianity in the entire seattle tacoma area and the number of people i've met since i've lived here in the last three years who i'm like oh yeah i used to go to church oh what church you go to mars hill oh that's right yeah, it was a phenomenon. Like it was, it had music. It was like an all ages venue. It was also a very terrifying cult of personality. Oh, absolutely. Mark Driscoll had this whole thing going on, and and that's a completely different conversation. But when they were kind of kick kickstarting, uh, they they made a point of creating their own band, and for the specific reason you're about, you're going to hear a lot for the next few minutes is CCLI licensing. Now, in the secular music world, if I want to play if i've i'm hosting a rally or something like that and i want to be able to play a band's music i have to have the licensing for that for i want to play on well, the radio. okay no well kind of you have to get a blanket license with csac so okay can i explain secular licensing yeah, really quickly as secular licensing and then i'll explain it. the differences with ccli all right in broad so terms. who pays for who pays for license so okay you want music played in your restaurant, in your venue, in your concert hall, etc. Any place that has music played, even over the speakers, needs to get what's called a blank- blanket license with the three um, PROs in the United States, uh, CSAC, BMI, and ASCAP. You need all three, otherwise you can, you can get hefty fines. Um, and the cost of these um, 
licenses depends mainly on size slash capacity of the room of the venue. So a small restaurant, if they're paying their licenses, are going to see a much smaller annual fee than a Great American Concert Hall or whatever. So that's it's it's fully and completely based on capacity. If you're putting on an event. It's the onus of the venue owner to have that license is my understanding. It's, it's attached to the venue, not the individual events, which can, I guess, make it tricky if you're like have an atypical venue. You're probably not going to get fined for an atypical venue. Um, but you know, that's if you're willing to gamble with your money, that's on you. But what you're doing is illegal. Just understand that. So that's how it works in the secular world. You need three blanket licenses. For ASCAP, CSAC, and BMI. Sure, sure. So in flip over to the Christian world, you've got CCLI, and that's more of uh, that's slightly different. So it's re- you really only need the one license. There's a couple of different licenses available, but by and large, all churches use CCLI licensing. And the what you charge per, hang on a second. Um, so you pay for the num uh, per event, and you have to report the number of attendees for each event, and they have sort of a sliding price structure based on how large your events are. So an event would be a Sunday morning worship service, and uh, if you've got fifty, if you count your your attendees in the service, and you got fifty people, and you're paying, and you've only got one service, you're probably paying a really small amount. Now, if you're a large church like Mars Hill was past tense, thank goodness. Uh, you're looking at more along the lines of a lot. And you figure if you if you got several services a day, you got five thousand person seating capacity, um, and then you got services throughout the week. Suddenly, the amount that you're paying in licensing gets to be ridiculous. And Mars Hill, on principle, said, "No, we don't want to pay for the licensing." On so principle, just, we don't want to pay for other people's music to get played. Okay. Sure, and and that's Great not necessarily. Principle. Well, it's not necessarily like that, and they weren't the first ones to do this. I'm just cherry-picking an example here um, where they were very vocal about, hey, this is why we're doing this. And so they created their own bands. They, uh, they Instead of pumping that money into uh, licensing, they're pumping that money into hiring full-time musicians, which I think is actually pretty cool. Uh, and so you've got full-time musicians. Their whole job is to lead worship on Sunday mornings and to create music for the church to worship to. Uh, it's always nice. it's always nice to you know be a benefactor of the arts, right? So you've got that, and a number of churches have have kind of gone this route in terms of realizing that it's more financially stable for a larger church to just hire out their own staff to create their own music, because now what you've got is you've got a little ecosystem where you you're not paying for the fees, so you're able to pay for everyone's salaries, and then you're able to. Uh, that allows you to guide more of your, your church-specific theology, which is really important. As, as I mentioned before, the, the, the Protestant church is splintered off into literally hundreds of denominations that all differ on different arguably mundane theological points. Uh, so when you've got churches like, hey, we can write our songs around our own theology, that's really important for a lot of people. So you've got that, and then on top of that, suddenly you've got a band that can go on tour. You can sell records. You can sell merch. You can sell tickets, and now you've got you've got a money making machine. Okay, 
So, but how are they getting away with the seat? Are they not having their um, songwriters register with this performance rights organization? No, they are, but they're they're singing their own music, so they don't have to pay the licensing for it. That's not now, that's wait, that doesn't sound right. That doesn't sound right at all. Do you know, if they if you write this if your church wrote the song and you're singing your own individual music, you own that. You don't have to pay someone else to sing your own your own music. But so they're just literally never doing covers. I don't exactly. that, doesn't, that doesn't sound right because like if I'm touring and my band plays one cover, we're not the ones who pay for that cover. The venue's just paying generally to use all of the music, even our music. Right, right. So, but the the venue's not paying for it anymore. So, if you're so Hillsong Church on a Sunday morning is only going to play Hillsong songs. Therefore, Hillsong okay. Church, the venue doesn't pay that. Uh, so, and on top of that, now you've got if you're going on tour, I, you're, sell, I, you're selling merch, and now all of the other small. So that, and we're talking like these big churches are maybe like one percent. Two percent of the churches across America. The other ninety-eight percent of churches across America, all your small, fifty, hundred person, maybe five hundred person churches, and they're they're now playing the songs um, from the big that the big churches are creating. Because previously it was like you've got uh, you've got your hymns, you've got some of your earlier artists that try to make it in a like a Christian label and create some of your music and kind of back in what we would call the happy clappy days. And now we've got a whole bunch of big churches that are pumping out contemporary music that is relatively hip to to use the term that the kids are using these days uh it's the production value is actually pretty decent it's get, gotten a lot better over the last decade and now we've you're like oh these we actually want to use this and so now they're paying ccli licensing fees to be able to play the songs of hillsong and jesus culture and elevation worship and okay uh, all of that so like Hold My on, church. hold on one second. Yeah, yeah. This doesn't sound okay. I'm I'm confused because this is not what a performance license is. So I looked it up and apparently churches do not need to pay a license to play or perform copyrighted music within the context of a church service, but any um music that's like it sounds so it sounds like the license is more like a broadcasting license. That's a separate license. So uh, let me send you God this doesn't make any. This, as someone who's actually worked in publishing, this doesn't make. This literally doesn't I make. No, it's sense. it's a completely different. It's a completely different framework. But it's not. That. It's not a performing. It's not a performing rights. It's not a performing rights organization. CCLI. It's not a PRO. So it's it's streaming. Know. I see. I see streaming licenses. I see. Um, What's a church copyright license? There you go. Okay. Understanding. Da, 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 da. Storing lyrics. Okay. Yeah, be able Writing to put songs. Lyrics. You have to uh, broadcast your CCLA license on. So when you go to a church service, uh, what you should see is usually on the title slide or as a footnote on every slide that they have is the CCLI license number that has to be displayed on the screen every service for every mm -hmm. song. This is really weird. Yeah, so licensing is behind all of it. I can't uh, imagine. I can literally not imagine this for secular music. It, 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 it seems like it's different. largely streaming. It seems largely like it's streaming and just like covering your butt for sharing like recordings during rehearsals. It's like, why do you need this? Well, you have to have it for every Sunday morning. And uh, so I used 
used to have to input the numbers for our attendance at the when I was interning at a church. We had Would to, you like, do this if you weren't broadcasting your church? Like if you were no, if it, we, we never broadcast it. You you needed this even if you weren't broadcasting. Yes, yes. But that doesn't make any sense. You every single service, every single church is supposed to have this. So, anyways, the the reason why I bring this up is kind of just to set up this world, this ecosystem where now you've got an, a select handful of really large churches. That I'm sorry. Can I, can I just ask some more follow-up questions? Sure. Because I'm sorry. I'm like, this is blowing my mind a little bit in a weird way. So were you printing the lyrics to share with people or something? No, you, you put, you put them up on the, you put them up on the screen. Okay. So that must be, that must be what it is. Yeah. Cause everybody's got to sing along and, uh, at this point, the nature of the worship world is there's new songs every few months. And so you don't always know, not everyone in the church knows the lyrics to every song. So there's always the sing along slides. That's normal. This is very weird. So the church that I was at back in California had a couple of hundred inch planar screens and we would just put the lyrics up on there. The church I'm going to right now, uh, we would just throw it up on a projector screen um, and you just sing along to the lyrics. Okay. This is not a PRO. This is this is different kind of licensing. All right. I was talking about PROs. This is very different. This is like a publisher. Yeah. So it's a different world in that in a different ecosystem. So the ecosystem that we've got now, the re- the whole reason why I built this up is to explain that we've now got a number of bands that everyone that like the the one two percent or whatever of churches across the world, uh, in in this particular branding of evangelicalism, kind of this this overarching umbrella of the Protestant church. So I, I just named off some of the, the larger churches that provide some of this music. Um, and offshoots of that would be like uh, Mars Hills. I want to say it was Mars Hills old band was King's Kaleidoscope. They're still performing. Um, and, in, and so these churches are now making money off of that licensing from all the small churches and CCLI as, all, as an organization is also taking a cut. Uh, but we're, the point is everyone's using their songs. They're looking up to them. They're trying to emulate their sounds because you're like, Hey, well now we're, we're your Sunday morning for your average small town church is I'm going to use the term cover band loosely here because I don't think that's exactly what it is, but for the sake of a starting point for understanding, you now got 98% of bands are cover bands. So it intentionally oversimplify that. And if you're going to cover someone, you want to sound like them. And so now all of your guitar players, all of your drummers, like all of your musicians are now looking up to the, the top tier of these worship musicians and saying, hey, what is the equipment that you're using? What are the sounds that you're using? Um, so like is chorus, one of the things you'd hear is like, oh, chorus hasn't been cool for a few years. Like, oh, no, but Jeffrey Kuhnd uh, or my, uh, like any of the other worship guitar players you're looking at are like, oh, they're using chorus now. So it's cool for us to use it. And you've got this weird, like, we look up to you and we emulate you kind of an ecosystem that's followed through as a result of this weird world of licensing that's created this ecosystem. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Yeah. So, so, and- they are, so they are the rock stars, but like almost more influential than... Like, sure. Cause, cause it's like a wider range and it sounds like there are fewer people doing it on like creating this music on a large level. Like, uh, I think like I've heard of Bethel church. Yep. That's another one. Bethel. Yeah. I uh, done a whole lot of really good music. 
Yeah. So, um, so, so these, since there are fewer people doing, it's almost like an entire genre, except widely attended. It's like, it's like there are way fewer rock stars. So by nature, those rock stars are more famous and influential. And instead of having like a top 100, you're, it's the amount of music that's getting pumped out in this community. You're looking at more like a top 10, like what's cool in any given month. Yeah. Um, so it's a smaller ecosystem, but in, so it's a smaller ecosystem in terms of the music. However, each of those groups is then they've got a captive audience that's, and there's only so many albums that get put out in this genre every year. And, you know, you're going to go and listen through all of them. It's, it's a lot easier to listen through the entirety of the genre in the worship world than it is for literally any other genre. And that's wild. And, it, and that's part, part of that is because it's relatively new. I mean, it, the style has evolved and really picked up a lot in the last, uh, in the 21st century in terms of how this model is built out and created this, this genre and ecosystem. And I think there's been a lot of really good things that have come out of that. Uh, something that the Christian world has long been accused of is being cheesy or not. I mean, just kind of being a, a, a fake ripoff of the secular world of music. And in a lot of instances, that was probably really true. I mean, if you look at, um, to to pick on rap for a second, if you look at the early 2000s where you've got Christian rappers versus the secular rap world, and hi the hip hop world, and you're comparing the quality of production and the music that's coming out, and you listen to some of the Christian tracks, you're like, dude, this is cheesy. This, <laughs> this is not easy to listen to versus any of the other hip hop stuff that's coming out. It's like, no, this, this, this is a banger. This is awesome. Uh, and even now that's come a long way. Um, in the Christian rap world, which is like a slight variation of that. Um, but one of the Christian rapper Lecrae managed to get like a top, uh, like top rap album for like a month or something like forget what he charted at, but he's actually charting at some pretty decent levels now. So the, the Christian music world has come a long way and praise and worship specifically has kind of started to find its own voice. And, and that's why you, and so now we're looking at this and we're going to take a step back and look at the gear. If you've ever wondered why every worship guitar player's pedal board looks the same, you've got a JHS morning glory. Uh, you've got your Strymon pedals and uh, a VP junior, or now things are, have moved a lot over more to Dunlop and Lele. Uh, it, some chase bliss stuff. Chase bliss has done really well in this world. And the reason for that is because you've got maybe a, list of 10 folks in the praise and worship world that have relatively similar sounds and boards because the the genre has kind of found this has found its voice and you get that voice through using a certain set of gear and now you've got thousands tens of thousands of churches across america with a couple guitar players going hey i want that sound and yeah. suddenly you're driving a ton of sales for a pedal builder or a guitar builder or uh yeah, I mean, you can look at, like, for guitars, uh, Veritas uh, is a guitar builder that's done really, really well in the praise and worship community. Be surprised if it – I haven't heard of it really much outside of the worship world. Uh, no. but I, I've in, never heard of this Ver, Ver, Veritas. Veritas, yeah. Um, and in my personal opinion, I think they're I think they're cheesy guitars. I, I don't think they look that great. I don't like the way that they've got the medallion in the – in the headstock. And I, I think the couple of times I've played a couple of them at different occasions. And I've just, I haven't really liked how they feel, but that doesn't matter. What matters is David Hislop out of how oh, he plays for want to play, say he plays for Bethel. 
and I'm blanking really hard here. I'm not, I'm not as super deep into this as a lot of worship players are, uh, but he, so he plays a lot of very toss guitars and that's part of, he's, he's part of what I've seen over the last few years, create this very toss bonanza. Now everyone wants one. And for a little bit there, they, the business model is, Hey, we we're only able to make so many of these a year and you start getting a wait list. And so then, then they said, Hey, we've got a lot of customers that want, want one of these. And so they outsource to an external builder overseas and start selling some cheaper models that look the exact same. Veritas is running a contest to give away a guitar right now, and I'm not entirely sure this is would be considered a legal contest. And that's not really my business. So <laughs> I I don't I don't know. I'm just gonna say I don't like their stuff. But a lot of people do, and the reason why a lot of those people do is honestly has very little to do with the quality of the instrument. A lot of people are willing to pay for stuff that they pay for a three thousand dollar guitar they've never held in their hands before. From a small builder that's got a volatile resale value because in six months they could go out of business and yada, so on and so forth. The reason why they're buying this stuff is because one of the people they look up to plays it and that's the sound that they want to emulate. And so they're going to go pay for it. They're going to, that's part of why Strymon has done so well is they got, in, they got into the market and you've got guys like Nigel Hendroff that have really just leaned on Strymon so hard over the last decade in their sound. Go back mm-hmm. to the, uh, the 2000s. Uh, some some of the earlier Hillsong albums, you see a lot of use of the Nova Delay from TC Electronic, and mm-hmm. that sold. And you see I, that used to be super popular, and then they transitioned over to the DD20. And so you're looking at these trends of what gear is popular over a certain set of years, and you start to see worship players' boards morph to follow that. Mm-hmm. Uh, MIDI is another one of those things that's uh, done really well. And from a touring perspective, you got you're a guitar player and you've got a lot of instead of doing a lot of tap dancing if you could just have midi control and uh a really popular midi controller for a long time was the mastermind ppc and basically with that once you got it all programmed you're just clicking next 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 through your playlist and just it's swapping all of your sounds for you mm-hmm. which makes sense if you're playing the same set list for every for every part of your tour and you're just able to click through like that cool that makes instead of doing the tap dancing when you've got so much going on makes yeah. it of, so and it's not just guitar players either i mean it, I, i'm also a drummer and getting to talk to drummers one of like something that you might have heard talking to worship drummers like oh i want that bethel snare sound because on bethel records the snare sounds monstrous in the way that they're and you start digging into the way that the the way that they're accomplishing that is through 30 strand snares um 30 snare strand on the bottom of their snare they're using a uh deep snare and they're tuning it relatively low they're they're not tuning your snare super tight so it's that's kind of how they're getting that fat sound and people Mm -hmm. start obsessing about this because you've got this group of you know 10 bands that they all look up to and so it's a very different ecosystem than the secular world now i want to backtrack what i said about uh come back to what i said about uh being a cover band because i don't think that's fair i mean it kind of sounds fair can i can i just quickly say that what i think is wrong about the veritas guitar contest is it seems to be a buyer merge to enter to win and i think that legally for some sort of sweepstakes like that you need to have a way for people to enter without paying anything so that's i just want to clarify my comment about that because that was a little vague and i don't want to sound like i was you know talking out of my ass or something i just like that's how i understand sweepstakes well, I mean, call them out on it. If that's what they're doing, then I'd like to, 
I don't have a problem with saying, hey, uh, maybe you should uh, consult with your lawyer. Maybe there's a maybe there is a, an entry without purchase that I just didn't see. But just to be clear, that's what I mean. That's what that sentence that I just said meant. Okay. So the reason why I'm going to walk that back just a little bit, and I, I it's an accessible way to explain it to people who aren't involved in the world, but uh, in the worship world, but it, there's a little bit more going on because you're not just simply playing the songs. You're actually leading your congregation in worship. A worship pastor is going to be curating the set list based on the sermon and what the church has been talking about. It, it, it's, it becomes less of a, Hey, we're just playing a show for you guys and a more interactive holistic experience. And, and then you're looking at different arrangements depending on how qualified, uh, how decent of a musician your worship director is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know, you're, the person who's leading worship could be a worship leader, worship director, worship pastor. It really just, a, there's a number of reasons why you would hold it one of those titles. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't want to leave off with, hey, it's just a cover, it's a cover band bonanza. Mm-hmm. I really don't think that's fair. And I think Christian musicians do get a really bad rap for that. Mm-hmm. Um, in some cases it, I don't know, mixed bag there. So anyways, that's my, that's my very long explanation of kind of how we've got there. I'd like to point out very briefly, just as an addendum that it's, there's also influences that come from outside of strictly this church world. And there are a few bands that have done really well as a standalone, not attached to a church on a music label um, that have had a lot of influence in the in the gear world. So uh, Chris Tomlin would be an example of a Christian musician who's on a label. He's not attached to a church and is very prolific as a, as a writer, uh, as a songwriter and performer. And uh, in any given Sunday morning is actually relatively well represented compared to a lot of the other churches. And then outside of the worship world, an example where um, an adjacent uh, influence would be like from the Christian rock world. We're looking at Switchfoot. So you're looking at Drew Shirley of Switchfoot has been a big part of why JHS has done, done so well. Um, and because he's worked with JHS on a number of different things. And most recently he's been working with Jackson audio on, I want to say his new signature pedal with them is, Oh, I'm blanking out so hard, but it's meant to emulate a, uh, a small, uh, a small speaker amplifier that's dimed out. Oh, um, so thinking like cool. a like a small champ, you, you if you crank a small speaker out to uh, to to the gills, it's got this specific throaty sound to it, and that's what they were trying to emulate. And mm-hmm. I, I grew up listening to Switchfoot. I grew up listening to Reliant K. Uh, you guys might remember that we interviewed Matt Hoops on the podcast uh, a year and a half ago. Mm-hmm. Great guy, and I grew up listening to to his music and listening to his guitar sound, saying, "I think that's awesome. I want." I want to, I want my rig to sound like that as well yeah. as to all be able to emulate the worship sounds. So it's a little bit more nuanced and there. Well, so. I'm never going to, I'm never going to crap on Christian rock because I know that for a lot of kids, that's the only access they ever get to rock, rock music as a teenager under their parents' house, at least because um, I know Julian Baker has said this before that that was the only kind of music that she was allowed to listen to. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm happy that Christian rock exists for that reason, if nothing else. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's definitely got its place. I listened to a lot of it when I was growing up and uh, I think there's some specific standout examples of excellence in that world that stand up on its own. I mean, Switchwood's album, the beautiful letdown charted really well in secular uh, charts as well. And also managed 
it ended up on a lot of soundtracks for movies and it, it did really well as a soundtrack. I think it stands up on its own, whether or not you contextualize it just to the, to the Christian world. But mm-hmm. so anyways, that's the ecosystem. That's kind of how I best explain from an outsider's perspective, what are you looking at with the worship world? And some of, some of it's a little cynical, some of it's a little generous, but that's kind of my, my intro to, to the worship world. And yeah. Hit me with your questions. I know you've got them. Well, that, well, I mean, I think I was trying, I was trying to ask them as they were going, but um, like, I, I do kind of wonder how, um, how much marketing is being done, like to try to get these relationships with these high ranking Christian worship band uh performers versus you know other kinds of marketing i mean it's it i so i don't know why i or i don't remember who added me to the gear talk praise and worship group but that's always such a weird little little ecosystem of mostly men kind of saying the same thing over and over and down to like the fashion it really does remind me of like scene kids i think that right now with the age i think it is a lot of former seen kids as adults going into sure. church and you, what do they say? Like the, the boots, the boots are kind of the boots uh, are really popular for a little bit there. Um, and yeah, I mean a lot of aspects of the culture surrounding worship music in the church world have kind of homogenized to a strange degree. And fashion is absolutely part of that. Yeah. So that's interesting. Um, I, I I didn't. I guess it makes sense how much goes in. Like again, I I didn't really go to to church ever, so I've never seen like the words on the screen or anything. I feel like there was probably a band at wherever I was, you know, going with boyfriend to church the couple times I went, and uh, I guess I do remember they had the lyrics published. So I guess that that just kind of surprises me how um, there's this own specific licensing, like. I, that still is just a very, very weird to me that there's not separate licensing, but I mean, in secular music, if you want to cover a song, you typically go through the same place. So it makes sense. You always go through the Harry Fox agency basically to get the rights and the accounting to cover a song on a record. It's just, it's weird that there's its own little ecosystem because churches shouldn't have to pay PROs just for the performance. It's everything else associated with performing, including printing the lyric sheets, including broadcasting or streaming, including like buying the sheet music and making copies of that um, to, to, to distribute to the band. There, there's a lot of stuff that goes on and even being, even being a cover band, um, there's still, sure. a, there are lots of rights that you have to like, keep in mind if you're, if you're doing it in specific ways. Sure. And it also along with like distributing, um, sheets and whatnot, you, you can pay an extra fee to, um, have the chord sheets already pre built out. So when you're in band practice and you're like, Hey, you're a volunteer guitar player for this church. Instead of asking you to learn how to play it by ear, I'm just going to hand you the sheet and here it's going to be E and then D and then, it, you know, it, it, here's your chord sheet with along yeah. with the lyrics you can play along. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that you can either build that out yourself if you're if you want to spend time as a worship director uh, creating your own chord charts, or you can just pay for song select, which is an additional additional deal um, that gives you access to all of the chord sheets for the like a chord sheet database. 
guess it depends on how busy you are and how much work you like to do on things like that. Um, yeah. Uh, and I know like with a pandemic, something that's been really difficult for a lot of smaller churches to try and work through is trying to sort out the broadcasting licensing, uh, because you're mm-hmm. suddenly we're all trying to broadcast on Facebook or YouTube or whatever may have you. And that's a different, that's a different set of licensing that they had to, to navigate that they weren't planning on. Uh, so right. yeah, anyways, as far as it, it pertains to the gear world, uh, I think looking at the general ecosystem, that's partly why, or I think it's entirely why looking at the gear world, why the praise and worship community has such a strong presence uh, because it's very gear centric in a lot of ways and it drives a ton of business. I mean, in and, it gets given- very, and it gets very homogenized too. like, it gets like people really like the 1981 inventions DRV. Like, I mean, it's a great pedal, but like, probably worthy of the hype and I have one I think it's great but like that and like the quiet theory prelude those were like the hype behind those was unreal well and I think part of why 1981 did so well is to be honest is Matt is someone that everyone in the community really looked up to um especially like the kids around my age we grew up listening to Matt's music and so we and we grew up to learn how to play guitar. And now we're seeing one of her favorite childhood icons is creating a pedal to emulate a certain sound. Of course, I'm going to jump on that, but yeah, uh, no, but like, look at Strymon. I mean, Strymon sells ridiculous numbers of pedals only in the praise and worship community. I'd be well, not to... only, not only. Oh, you, no. mean, you, but... mean, you mean taking out the secular world and right. in, in this praise and worship community alone, they sell a lot of things. Sure. Look at JHS. There's an argument to be made that JHS as a company has only survived because of the praise and worship community behind it, driving so much sales. Uh, I think there's a well, maybe. I think that's the only reason they've gotten that, that helped them get so big for sure. But a lot of a lot of secular musicians play yeah. JHS pedals because I'm not, I'm not because, taking a crap on JHS. I'm just saying it's an important factor, contributing factor to their success. Right. And, Taking a step back and going, if I were to, I mean, I am a small business owner, but if I was trying to create like a large business uh, model to in the gear world right now, the reality is, is whether you like it or not, there's a huge market in the praise of worship world. And there's a lot of money to be made if you're willing to dig in a little bit and get on good terms with them. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of money to be made. There's a lot of, uh, and once you break in, you're kind of just set. Um, yeah. So what? So I know we've talked about Strymon's big in that realm. Uh, JHS is big in that realm. Who else is really? Do you feel like their sales have really been driven, uh, in no small part, by this community? Um. Those would be I mean, a couple the, the DR the DRV and the Prelude are two. Um, gosh, what's um? Well, those those haven't taken off in the praise and worship community nearly as much as you would think they have. Really. But yeah, then, who, it, then who's who's selling drives to the praise and worship community? Uh, these days, Jackson Audio. I mentioned before that Drew Shirley is now uh, one of their artists, has a signature pedal. That's driven a whole lot of business for them. Um, okay. They were already really, um, really popular a few years ago uh, with their the Jackson Audio Prism, which was featured uh, on a lot of Hillsong players' boards specifically. Uh, the one that stands out in my mind in particular is Nigel Hendroff 
I think at one point was running two of them, one pre-comp and one post-comp. So Ooh. before you're even getting to any like clipping stages, you've got a boost uh, or like a preamp boost, a uh, compressor, and then another preamp boost. And now we're looking at your first stage overdrive and just really layering in the, the gain stages. Uh, so Jackson audio has been doing really well lately. There's, um, even a, there's a smaller company, I think, I want to say jet something, jet pedals. Oh, I'm oh. like, um, but they've got the, that sounds the, right. the pedal I'm thinking of is the revelation reverb. Yeah. Jet pedals is correct. And J-E-T, all caps. And so it's marketed specifically as a worship sound. So it, it's, it does specifically a worship style reverb. That's what it's built for. That's what it's marketed for. They've been doing really, really well. Oh, heavenly pads. Um, I would say not uh, a company that's done really surprisingly well in the worship world, uh, but not exclusively uh, would be, would be boss. Boss Roland has done uh, mm. is a huge staple in that world. TC Electronic did really, really, really well for several years. I mentioned before the Nova repeater uh, was really popular back in the 2000s. And then the Flashback and the Hall of Fame have both been really popular sellers in this world because they kind of they give you access to a number of sounds for a relatively cheap price. And it's really accessible because something you've got to keep in mind is a lot your average Joe, your Midwest small church guitar player doesn't necessarily have four grand to throw into a board. A mm -hmm. lot of people do. And so, but not everyone can reach that same level of homogenization. So you're looking at budget ways to accomplish those sounds. Mm -hmm. And those two pedals in particular sold a lot specifically for that reason. Interesting. Uh, and so, and some of these things like Strymon's been on a kick for like a decade. Other brands have been on shorter kicks for shorter periods of time. Um, really just depends. Huh. Uh, Fender in general has done pretty well as a, as a staple guitar manufacturer that's done well in the worship world. Gibson. Well, is I feel like, well. I feel like everybody has like, I think that like the blues junior was like the thing for a minute. Oh yeah. Blues junior is a, is a entry level accessible amp that a lot of, uh, newer players in the worship world tend to go for. They'll go for that or like an AC 10 or AC 15 kind mm -hmm. of your, your budget go-to amps other ones you're looking at are like a bucara but i think the amps side of things i think more isn't as worship specific as the secular world is um is just kind of your entry point here's what your entry level amps are uh if you're looking to get serious and buy something with tubes in it oh and then they they like the whole silent stage thing that's that's its own kind of sure world. i mean in a, in a world driven by in a world driven by a lot of volunteers, most churches on a Sunday morning, your audio engineer is a volunteer not being paid, mm -hmm. which means a lot of churches have relatively low ex levels of experience uh, sitting behind the soundboard. And so one of the ways to create a friendlier environment for a new guy to try and mix a live show is it remove all of the stage noise possible. That's why you're seeing drummers in cages. That's why you're seeing all the amps are being run in the, in the back. Uh, you're running like a radial SGI or a wireless system. So mm -hmm. you're the amp or you're, or you're literally putting your amp under the stage. A lot of mid-sized churches uh, just create like a insert in the stage. You just kind of pull out the, the floorboard, drop your amp in and there's already a mic down there. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that's why the, that's why the HX stomp I'm sure does well. Cause that has the amp and cab sim 
Well, and that's partly, yeah. I mean, the HX Stomp and Iridium and Kemper and Axe Effects and Helix. I mean, those have all done relatively well in that world because silent stages are uh, really a really important part. You take away all the wedges on stage, and that is one less thing for your sound guy to dial in on a Sunday morning. When you've got volunteers that are cycling in and out, most churches don't have the same group of people up there or this, even the same number of instruments every Sunday. The church I go to has a different group of people up every week the different set of instruments. It, it varies a lot because it's volunteer driven. So you get a sound guy, you take that out of the, you literally take that out of the mix. It's a lot easier just to mix front of house. If you don't have to worry about sound on stage, <laughs> you don't have to, you don't have to worry about the bleed into the, in, into the audience. You don't have to worry about, Hey, can I get more of the, my vocals in my monitor? Like you don't have to deal with that. And, I mean, like sure. A- I'm sure you still have to deal with a little bit of more of uh, mixing, mixing out to to monitors. <laughs> no, 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 because the in ear the in ears are all controlled. Most, most churches will have like a personal uh, monitor mix. So a church right. I played for a couple of years ago, I just had my Avium system literally on a mic stand sitting right behind me. I could turn around and adjust levels in the middle of the set. That's wild. Completely autonomous. Completely autonomously. I just had my sure in ears sitting in my ears, and I I would pan. Uh, metronome to the left and I'd pan vocals to the right. Uh, and I really, I would only do metronome vocals, drums. I was playing bass at that church. Uh, and that was about it. I pretty much left everything else out of the mix. Cause that's all I needed to know where I was at mm-hmm. uh, in the song. So that's, yeah, that's fascinating. Um, yeah. That's I, the, very different than any world that I'm, uh, I'm used to the dirty dingy clubs. Yeah, I mean, you're not going to see like a, a silent stage at your average Joe Club, which is fine. And there's a reason for it, and I don't think it's a bad reason. And it's just – it's a different world. There's different things that are being considered going into this. So, yeah, that's uh, a little a little window. That's really interesting. Really? That, yeah, that's, that's the world that I have like absolutely no – understanding of so thanks for explaining that to me i mean it all it all makes sense like when 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 i hear you say it like things sort of start to click into place not the whole the whole ccli thing is still like what in the world but um we did not that that was not part of the curriculum that which is kind of funny because nashville's all condoned for country and christian music so i feel like they maybe should have maybe i maybe i skipped that day it's possible. Um, anyways, it's, and actually, that might have been a different. Cl- that might have been its own class that I just didn't have to take, so I didn't. So I'm going to throw in a quick blanket statement. This is m- not a definitive ex- explanation of the worship world. This is my understanding of how I've experienced it and how I it's been explained to me over the years in a couple of different contexts. And as I mentioned before, there's a lot of denominations, and there's a Whereas this is kind of the mainstream of how it's played out, there's d- going to be smaller variations of how this plays out in p- different particular churches. Um, so keep that in mind that there is still some variety in a relatively homogenized world. And there's also some people who've been around longer than me that have seen different things and might have different explanations for how we got to where we're at. That's just my seen explanation. Some, seen some stuff. Yeah. Did, yeah. you know that, did you know that Jessica Dobson from Deep Sea Diver? I don't. I don't think she was like super affiliated with uh, Mars Hill, but I mean, I think she definitely went. Again, so, Seattle, Seattle in two thousand and three. You know, 
Right. So, all right. So let's talk Mars Hill for just a second because I think that deserves a brief explanation. Mars Hill was started back in the 2000s, I want to say, by a guy named Mark Driscoll. Mark Driscoll is known as – or was known. I guess he still is now. He's a pastor again. Uh, is a very charismatic uh, – a term that you'll hear from a lot of conservative people, whether it be politics or religion, is a tell-it-as-it-is. Tells-it-like-it-is kind of a person. Um, very animated uh, – definitely would say some uh, inflammatory things on stage because he's like, well, I believe this. I'm not going to back down from it. I'm like, that's sexist. But you don't need to kind of- say everything in your brain. That's fine. Well, and so he, he held a certain set of beliefs, but this character of personality or cult of personality, I would argue, really gathered a lot of steam. And Mars Hill built up to several campuses um, and really built something really massive. And it suddenly crumbled um, after grumbles and mumbles uh, over the course of a few years. Like, hey, this dude's actually kind of an asshole. Uh, <laughs> and the there's a parachurch organization that they're associated with by the name of Acts 29, uh, and uh, which is I'll, I'll exp- I don't want to explain the name behind that. So. Mark Driscoll is on the board of that, and they dropped him saying, hey, uh, this good, we don't want you on our board anymore, and here's our open letter as to why. And um, and then everybody's like, whoa, what's going on? And then Mars Hill dropped Mark Driscoll. Now, the problem is you've got this entire church ecosystem that's a cult of personality, so you take away the, the personality, and you don't have a cult anymore. And within like a couple of months, the whole thing fell apart. They started selling. They sold off the campuses for dirt cheap, with all of the equipment and everything loaded into it. Uh, it I got to know a guy who's uh, hired on to, uh, at Quest Church, which is one of the churches that bought out a campus. Uh, and yeah, they left behind all the audio equipment. The they had a recording studio, like all of that stuff, just got sold off wholesale for pennies on the dollar, um, and left a huge gaping hole in the Seattle community. A lot of people um, who had you know were a cult of the personality of Mark Driscoll had no idea. Uh, a lot of people felt very betrayed and left a really sour taste in the mouth for this entire area. I, I think it's done an, an incredible amount of damage for Christianity in the Seattle area and really makes me very sad as a Christian who cares a lot about uh, the church being represented well and not sucking like Mark Driscoll sucked. Uh, of course. <laughs> Uh, Mark Driscoll is now a pastor again out in Arizona, uh, which I have very negative feelings about. I'm all about redemption and whatnot, but there's the other part of me. It's like sometimes you just got to find a different career. Sometimes it's just not worth hurting people again. It's so. Yeah, it's funny when you think about like cancel culture or the supposed cancel culture, and then you see things like that. Like maybe we aren't ruining people's lives by pointing out the bad things they do and maybe getting them fired for a while. Cause it seems like most people recover and some of them make their lives better. And some just keep doing the same thing they were doing before. Maybe it's not a thing. Maybe it's the new satanic panic. That's a different episode. <laughs> that is a different episode. So that's my brief synopsis um, and explanation of why I got a little weird around saying the word Mars Hill and mm-hmm. why a lot of folks in the Seattle area might remember that name. Uh, not with happy thoughts attached. No, not really. 
All right. Well, uh, I think that was a really great explainer. I thought we were going to do a short episode, but there's a lot to, lot to talk about generally speaking. So, uh, thanks. Thanks yeah. Andrew for, for taking some time to kind of break it, break that down. It was, it was really interesting. And join the Facebook group. Ask me any questions. I'm active on Facebook. Uh, seriously, throw whatever questions you have my way. I'm happy to answer them. Uh, before this episode, I already had a good conversation with Layla from Tuna Tone, uh, kind of explaining some of what's behind all of this. And yeah, always happy to talk about it. It's very unlike me to say, no, nah, I don't want to talk about church today. Thanks for listening. Passionate about it. Thanks for listening. Thanks for understanding. My name's Andrew. I'm Emily. Goodbye. Bye. Say